Nice to be together on Sunday with my church family, loving the Lord, worshiping, doing something only Christians can do, and that's be filled with the Spirit of God, and be filled with the praises of God, and to be filled with the glory of God. Isn't it sweet? As we come together and we do this, and we forget that we're human beings for a little while, and that we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, and that God is truly in full control of all things when we step into praise and worship. I don't know about you, but I get a little lost in God. And I can be reminded of how in control God really is. Because sometimes we can forget about that. And it's always comforting to know that God is in control of our life. And uh, and if your life is anything like the rest of us, sometimes it seems out of control. Sometimes our emotions seem out of control and so on and so forth. But we come together and we encourage each other as we fellowship to remind each other that God is in full control of our lives, in full control of our destiny as we sang tonight. It's comforting that in Christ alone, as we survey a wonderful cross, we're constantly reminded of God's great love for us. And uh, it has an impact on our souls. It has an impact on the way we think, the way we act, the way we desire, and the way we live our lives. So if we're born by the Spirit, as Paul says, let's walk in the spirit. Would you open up to Galatians chapter 2, please? I will continue speaking out of the book of Galatians as we are going through each chapter. And uh, today's sermon brings us up into the second chapter. I will break this chapter into two places. I will speak on the first 10 verses this week and the next uh, 20, 11 verses next week. But we will read starting in verse 1, and then I'll make some comments. Paul says in chapter 2, Then after 14 years, I went again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles. In order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced or compelled to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, he slipped, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Could everybody say, preserved for me? And from whom seem to be influential, what they want makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me, through mine, to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. That's always enlightening. It is truly a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path, Father God. We know that those who are born again who follow your Son, the light of the world, don't stumble in the darkness. 
but have the light of life, Father. We thank you, God, that you breathe upon this text tonight and you take this ancient text, Father God, and make it living and dynamic in our life, in our midst today, God, for the same things that plague Paul are still plaguing the church today, God. The gospel is under attack. The freedom we have in Christ is being under attack, Father God. And we must pull up the sword and fight, Father God, the good fight of faith, so that the gospel of freedom might be preserved for everybody else. Teach us to fight. Teach us to know. Teach us to love. In Christ's precious name. Uh, Before I go on to Galatians, there was some terminology... I need to uh, reiterate again, to, so we can understand the gospel, we can understand the, the book of Galatians. Not just today's sermon, but if you're going through the book of Galatians, if there's some terminology, some concepts you're not familiar with, uh, you will get a little lost. And I will again reiterate this, by the time we get through the six chapters, you'll have a better understanding of what's going on in Galatians. Uh, key thoughts is that, In this book, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being under attack. The gospel that Paul preached was being uh, a head-on assault, attacked by a certain group of people from the Jerusalem church. They were called Judaizers. Now, historians call them Judaizers. They were sort of half-baked Christians that had some kind of confession of faith in Christ, but they held people to the law of Moses. They They were into the law of Moses. They were into circumcision. They were into the food laws, the dietary laws. They were into washings and ceremonies and so on and so forth. They were really trying to convert people, not so much to Christ, but to Judaism. They wanted Christians to look more like Jews. They were Judaizers. Legalism is a concept of certain requirements that need to be met in order to be accepted by God. Now, Paul preached a different message. His message to be accepted by God is not what you wear, not what you eat, not how you worship, not what days of the week you worship on, not if you were circumcised or uncircumcised. Paul says circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing to God. What counts to God is, have you trusted in Christ? That's it. As we sung today, it's Christ alone. That message of Christ alone has been under attack since Jesus himself preached it. When he preached to the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't like that he was going to these sinners, these outcasts of religious society, and he was welcoming them into the children of God. They didn't like that. They didn't like John the Baptist's message. He was too harsh, they didn't like Jesus' message, he was too liberal, Uh, they didn't like it at all because it didn't line up to what they preached. That message of Christ alone has been under attack since day one. Legalism is the concept of requirements, like I said. Legalism is a concept. Judaizers are the proponents of this teaching. Those who teach rules and regulations to be accepted to God, either outside of faith in Christ or with faith in Christ, but you still need to do some religious regulations, were known as Judaizers. Legalism, to be sure, is a natural state of the human heart. Human hearts believe it has the ability to please God by doing things. We love to do things. Remember when Jesus fed the 15,000 with a couple loaves of bread, they said, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus said, just believe. Because they want to do something. You want to work something up. It's nice to know if you do A, B, and C, I'm accepted by God. Well, that's legal. It's in the human heart. 
it's also a bit self-righteous, because we think we have the ability to please God. But so is its counterpart, and that's libertarianism, which believes it can live apart from the will of God. That I can live apart from the God, in spite of God, I can still do both. I can have my cake and my eat it too. The human heart is really wicked. Uh, I believe it's Proverbs 16, 2 that teaches us, all man's ways are right in his own eyes. See, that's where you have legalism, libertarianism. We can do everything, we can call it what we want, hand it to God and say, God, you must accept it, because I'm thinking pretty highly of myself, so on and so forth. So, these things are very important by going in here, because that's why we know people who trust in Christ can get caught up in trying to please God another way. All of us here have the potential of getting caught up in something that pleases God. You know, I'm praying extra, I'm studying extra, I'm witnessing extra, and somehow I'm getting brownie points with God. All those things will probably make you feel closer to God. I'll tell you right now. But it doesn't make you any more loved by God. Please understand that. The message is, you cannot be loved any more than you are already by God. You cannot. Now, walking in obedience is a wonderful gift that the Holy Spirit produces in us. Sanctification, it brings us closer to God. You experience the presence of God. And when you experience the presence of God, the closest of God, understand something. You will love God, and you will want to live for God. God is contagious. As a matter of fact, He's addictive. Get into holiness. Find out the sweetness of obedience. And the rest is history. My job is over, I can go home. <laughs> but we have some problems, and then we're going to address that today. As we spoke about in the previous weeks, Paul in the book is defending his message, and he's de defending his apostolic ministry. Paul started these churches somewhere around A.D. 45, in what we know today as southern Turkey. He went there as a missionary. He went there with Barnabas. They preached the gospel. Uh, many salvations. A lot of, some Jews got saved. A lot of Gentiles got saved. Churches were birthed. And then they would go on somewhere else to preach. And after they would leave, within a year or two years, certain Judaizers would come in. These were these half-baked Christians that carried a, a sort of distorted, as Paul says in uh, uh, chapter 1, a distorted gospel, a distorted version of the gospel. And they would come in and say, well, you know, Paul had it wrong. I know he's your founder. I know he's your leader. But he's sort of insubordinate. He uh, was sent out from the apostles in Jerusalem. But, you know, he's changed his message. He's taken out circumcision. He's taken out food laws. He's taken out basically all the law of Moses. And says that Jesus did it all for you. Paul had it wrong. Basically, that is the argument that these Judaizers, the opponents of Paul, were criticizing Paul to his own congregation. Now... If we want someone to believe another message that has already believed another message, they believed Paul. To attack the messenger is to get across a new message. They attack the message by attacking Paul. So Paul has to defend both himself and his message. In chapter 1, he defended himself historically. He defended himself about his apostolic call, his unique a divine calling when God was called, pleased to call God into the kingdom and reveal His Son and take Him from being a persecutor to being a preacher. 
You see, that was chapter 1. Now in chapter 2, he's going to tell the Galatian Christians, listen, not just that, but these Judaizers that are coming down from, allegedly from Jerusalem, with these papers saying that we're sent from Peter, we're sent from John, we're sent from James, understand something. They are my friends. I'm going to give you a little history lesson, is what he's saying. He's saying, 14 years ago, I already went to Peter. This matter has been settled already. That's where we find ourselves in the text today. Peter, I mean, Paul is just reiterating, he's going over his history lesson. This is etched in stone. People know it already. It's important for us to understand that. So he's defending his apostolic call. He's defending his apostolic message of Christ alone. Let me read. In these verses, Paul is going to show his antagonists that he and the other apostles were in harmony on the main points of Christianity. The Judaizers were accusing Paul of insubordination. This was how they misled the Galatian Christians. Attacked the message by attacking the messenger. They attacked their leader, they attacked their founder to win them over to themselves, over to, Jewish, over to a Jewish distortion of the gospel and religious freedom that's found only in Christ by faith, to following Moses, to look more Jewish, instead of the Judaizers were more concerned with you looking, sounding Jewish, than you were with exemplifying the virtues of Christ. That is the difference here. Don't miss that. Because no matter what, you can try, follow Moses all you want, but he won't put love in your heart. He won't get you to love your neighbor as yourself. You can follow the law, you can follow any religion, but it will not get you to confess your sins from the innermost part of your being to be right with God. Only the Holy Spirit can produce such a great work which only comes by faith in Christ. So what's under attack here is not some you know, theoretical things. This is what makes us sing. That's why we, when I said when we're reading... It's preserved for us. We're singing today because Paul took a stance 2,000 years ago against us. And me and you are singing today. This was a distortion. Now Paul goes on to defend his friendship with the other apostles. That he was a co-laborer as they were. Peter to the circumcision, that means the Jewish sect. Paul to the uncircumcision, that means the Mediterranean world, the, the Gentile world. Paul was going to show the Galatian Christians that they approve of me. I was already there. I had a face-to-face -face encounter with Peter and the rest. And they gave me the right hand of fellowship. I'm accepted as an apostle. Be careful of the false teachers that come in and say that there's a, a schism between me and the other apostles. There is no schism. I have proof. Barnabas and Titus went with me. We went up to Jerusalem. And he cites this visit of 14 years ago to the leaders in Jerusalem. And not just that, but he cites taking Titus deliberately along with him. Titus was a Greek convert. They went because of a revelation in verse 2. This revelation is implied, and this is what he means by, I went with a revelation. He states that what he, what he was stating or implying, he was saying this. Did my preaching... Did my teaching, did all my hardships and all my spiritual labor for the Gentiles fall to the ground because of certain men from Jerusalem church were coming down and undermining everything I did? Have I been laboring all these years? Did Peter and the other apostles have my back in my preaching ministry? 
while I was in the mission field, while I labored for God and taught Christ alone, while I was teaching the Greeks that a promise was made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through one man, was Peter and the other apostles taking my back? So, or were they in sync with me? Maybe there's a miscommunication. So he goes all the way back to the mother church where these false teachers were, claiming their ecclesiastical authority. He goes right into the lion's den. He goes to set the record straight. He brings a Greek widow named Titus into the lion's den, and he reasons with them the gospel he preached on the front lines in the mission field. And they realize that it's the genuine article. Titus, a Greek who's uncircumcised, probably a bit rough around the edges, didn't look Jewish, didn't look religious, probably just a normal kick around guy. But yet this Jew loved the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This Gentile, I should say, who grew up as a pagan, who grew up in spiritual darkness, who didn't know the real and living Jehovah, is now fulfilling the law of Moses from his heart. He's fulfilling the law of love. It's faith expressing itself through love. He's loving Jehovah. He's loving God. He's loving God's Christ, Jesus. Titus is a type of object lesson in Paul's ministry. He's saying, look at this Gentile that you want to circumcise. He already loves God. He already loves people. He's already fulfilling the essence of the law, which is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He's already doing it. Why are you going to tamper with what the Holy Spirit is doing? God accepts Gentiles. While he was there, reasoning with them, I'm sure through the scriptures, as he always did. I'm sure Titus was getting up and giving a testimony of how much he loved the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He loved El Shaddai. He loved God Almighty. He loved the law. He loved people. While this is going on, people are smuggled in, it says here. Certain Jewish brethren were smuggled in. They crept in secretly to spy out our freedom. They were trying to get Titus to be circumcised. So you got to picture this. I love Christ. I love God. I can't love Him anymore. To try to get me to do something religious just doesn't work. God has my heart already. Does He have your heart? That's it. It's over. The law is fulfilled. Paul says in Romans 13, the law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the only thing you owe anybody, is love. That's it. They're trying to get Titus to convert to Judaism. This is insane. You've got to picture the whole thing. Titus already has been converted for about 15 years. He already loves God. He's witnessing. He's bringing people into the kingdom of God. And they're saying, well, you know you're still incomplete. Incomplete? You've got to be careful. I'm, I'm a minister of the gospel. Titus is already a minister. It's ludicrous. Religion is ludicrous. 
It doesn't see the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. It just sees what it wants to see. It sees what you're not doing. You know, I don't like the way you're dressed. It doesn't make a difference. You love everybody and you're fulfilling the law of God. It's, I don't like the way you're dressed. You don't look Jewish. Or you don't sound right. Or I don't like the way you play. I know you love God. I don't want to hear about this love for God and you're obeying the Lord. I don't want to hear that. You just know you play too loud for me. That's legalism. Am I right? This is... Oh, God. We can go on and on and on. I really want you to read these ten verses and go over what I just said on your own. And see the hypocrisy. These men that were snuck in, it's insane what they're trying to do. They're trying to convert someone who loves God and is converted already in the heart. He's circumcised in heart already, Paul says. Oh, goodness. But this really goes to show how widespread the problem is. These people didn't come barging through the door. They were invited. They were smuggled into the meetings. People were bringing them in and saying, listen, why don't you disrupt the meeting? Get this guy, this, this Greek guy, Titus. Yeah, Paul brings some Greek up here named Titus. He's uncircumcised. He says he loves Jehovah. He says he loves God. He says he obeys Christ. He says he's filled with something called the love of God. I don't know what it is, but just get him circumcised. All right, sneak in there. Get him, tie him up, circumcise him. Do whatever you have to do. But Paul fights we did not yield to them for one moment. Not for one moment. There's only one way to fight error. And that's with truth. It's the only antidote for error and false teaching. is truth. Nothing else would do it. There's only one problem. You need backbone to swing the sword of truth. You have to go against heresy... And legalism is aggressive. And you have to take an aggressive spiritual stand against it. When you fight for Christ, you will fight alone. We'll speak about that in our application. But something the false teachers hate is truth. It irritates them because truth always leads you back to this. And this is how you can sum it up a little bit. It always leads back to the finished work of God in Christ. You can speak to me for an hour and a half, and at the end of it, it's not Christ alone, it's not a gospel message. I don't care how many things I see going on, I don't care how sound and great it makes no difference. If it doesn't come down to being born again, if it doesn't come down to faith in Christ alone saves you, then, you know, close the door, go home, makes no difference. I don't care how sound and good, how many people are roaring, ripping, clapping, applauding, makes no difference at all, it's not a gospel message. Amen. Please understand that. I say that dogmatically, because that's how Paul fought against these people. He didn't go there, well, you know, this is the way we see it over here. He didn't say that. He's going, no, this is it. It's Christ alone. Read the rest of the chapter, and you'll see how he rebukes Peter. I will talk about that next week. But anyway, truth always irritates people that are trying to undermine others. Because there's no reason. You can't reason against the truth. It points to Christ. Give me Christ. So, we go on. And Paul says, And whoever thought themselves influential added nothing to Paul's understanding of Christ's work of atonement. This Greek word influence means to think. He uses it three times in ten verses. But it doesn't mean to think outside of yourself. It means to think of yourself. As a matter of fact, it means to think more of yourself than you ought to. 
He uses the same word in the sixth chapter. He says, let no man think more highly of himself than he ought to. Paul is totally using sarcasm here. He's, he's reading their mail. He's going, these influential people, they think so highly of themselves. They added nothing to me. They spoke for five days and they don't know nothing. It's not Christ alone. They added nothing to me. He's not speaking about Peter. He's not speaking about James. He's not speaking about the other apostles. He's speaking about these Jewish Judaizers sect that thought themselves influential. The real apostles would never think themselves influential because a real apostle knew he was only a servant of God, which means to be a slave, a bond slave of God. No true apostle would ever go toe-to-toe with that. These were people that thought very highly of themselves. Uh, they're still with us today. But... From these verses, we see that the New Testament church in Jerusalem had its troubles. Paul, instead of being debunked when he went up there 14 years earlier, instead of being defrocked by the establishment, Paul is recognized as an equal with the Apostle Peter, who is recognized as the head of the Jerusalem church. The same power... The same miraculous apostolic power that flowed through Peter in healings and signs and wonders was also going on in Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. God shows no partiality between Jew and Gentile. And Paul knows it. Unfortunately, it took Peter a long time to learn that lesson. With the added emphasis when we come to 9 and 10, that they receive the right hand of fellowship. And the only regulation was not circumcision. The only regulation was not dietary food laws. It wasn't washings. It wasn't the Sabbath keeping. It wasn't so on and so forth. There was no new moons, no new calendars. The Passover, Christ fulfilled that. Everything's fulfilled in Christ. The only regulation is, do me a favor, take care of the poor. Paul says, hey, I'm eager to do that already because the law of love is working in my heart. You don't have to tell You don't have to tell a Christian to be eager to take care of the poor. It's the very thing Paul says I wanted to. That's, that's what God does to us, isn't it? Silence could be creepy at this point. You're supposed to say, amen, pastor. I love taking care of the poor. I love reaching down deep in my pockets. I don't need, whether they're saved or unsaved, it makes no difference. I want to meet the needs of people. Amen. Ah, okay. <laughs> we'll save that for another day. Okay. All this would go to support what Paul already said in chapter 1. And hopefully bring peace and comfort to the Galatian church that was being disrupted by the distorted gospel that their founder was truly not some kind of self-proclaimed prophet or self-proclaimed apostle, but he was truly an apostle of God recognized by the Jewish leaders. This would bring comfort to the Galatian church. That Paul preached the message that God does accept Gentiles outside of the Jewish law. He saves them, he sanctifies them, and he will bring them home to heaven by faith alone. Let's get into some application. How do we apply this today? There's a showdown, whether you know it or not, I touched upon it already. It's between religion about God, that was the Judaizers, they were into about things, about doing things, 
where Paul's all about knowing God and loving God. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Let's get into religious things and duties and regulations. And now let's all look the same, talk the same, dress the same, do the same. Paul's like, I don't care about that. Let's all just love God the same. Fulfill the law of love. Let's love one another. Let's be concerned for the needs of each other. Let's outdo each other in love. Let it be faith expressing itself through love. That's the difference between a relationship with God and an understanding about God. Are you with me? That's the showdown that's going on over here. And he uses the example of Titus, as I already mentioned. Titus was a Greek that loved God. He's sort of a, like a Christian in a test tube. You know, he's like, come here, let me, let me show you what Christianity in the front lines is really like. Let me show you the power of the gospel. Let me show you what the power of just preaching in Christ alone will do to a pagan land. Deep, steeped in darkness. Let me show you, Titus, come here and represent the whole, the whole Gentile Christian world. That's what Titus was. This man loved God without being circumcised. He loved living for God without rules and regulations. He was self-motivated to live the law of God out. He willed it by the power of the Holy Spirit to live for Christ and Christ alone. Love constrained him. He couldn't help himself but to live for God. Because the message he heard was all about God. And not about regulations. Rules. Do's and don'ts. They don't change the heart. Only the gospel changes the heart. Verse 2. I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. The gospel I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. Now here's a sad reality, as I shared before. The revelation, Paul's like, I'm doing all this work, but if I'm not getting supported by the Jerusalem church, that could undermine everything I'm doing here in the mission field. So it is today. Me and John can preach faithfully week in and week out. We can give you sure biblical messages. We can give you into your hands books to study, to understand the gospel. And you can put the TV on and hear something that undermines the whole thing. Just undermines the whole thing. We're teaching faith. We're teaching faith expressing itself through love. We're teaching without works. Or I should say that uh, show me faith and I'll show you works. It goes hand in hand. And all of a sudden you hear something on TV. Just send me a thousand dollars and everything will be okay in your life. And I'm over there. And what I say, I hear this. this not, I hear this. I've sat down with people and said, I've done this. And I've shared this with people. That's only one small example. And I, got a, I hang my head. I said, God, give me, the, give me grace. Give me words of wisdom and word of knowledge. Just speak to your son. Speak to your daughter that's following this, this nonsense that's undermining the work that we're doing. We're, we labor in vain until Christ is formed in you. If teaching is not speaking about Christ being formed in you, it's not of God. Don't fall for it. It is so important. If you're going to listen to sound biblical teaching week in and week out, then disregard anything that doesn't sound like the truth. 
And if you're not sure, speak to us about it. It goes on all the time. We need to be extraordinarily careful. This is a pastor's nightmare. It's a nightmare of John and Mark. After laboring and laboring, someone says, yeah, you know, I'm reading this book. I'm like, oh, God. All right. All right, well, yeah, let me see the book. Let me talk to you about this author. And, you know, and I've got to go through the whole thing. But that's our job. We're pastors. That's what we do. I've been speaking to a man about Christ for 20 years. Karate student in the mind. I love him. I said it to him straight in love with tears in my eyes that you need to be born again. You need to be saved. On three different occasions, I had a very strong walk with him. I saw him last week. He was all happy. He goes, you ever read this book? It's Joel Osteen's book on your best life now. And I'm like, I, I haven't, no. He goes, man, I think it's really great. I said, well, you know something, I've got to be honest with you. We don't believe that. We don't believe it's true to the gospel. We don't believe it's true to Jesus Christ. He goes, well, what makes you say that? I said, have you read the book? He said twice. I said, did you read about sin? He said, no. I said, did you read about repentance? He said, to come and think about it, I didn't. Did you ever hear the word suffering used? No, didn't hear that either. And I went on to a couple other things that God gave me wisdom at the time. He goes, and he's a politician. So I said, and he's very conservative. So I said, how would you like to one day, you know, somebody who's extremely conservative with you just to go to the total left? He goes, I couldn't fellowship with such a person. I said, that's what you read. I said, that is not the gospel. I say that with the deepest love. I don't know where anybody's walk is. But I tell you now. You have to be careful of what you're reading. It can undermine all true, good gospel teaching. So please, I say that with as much love as I possibly can. Be careful of what you read and who you listen to. Okay. Let me go on. It's our job to protect God's sheep at any cost. And sometimes at the cost of being, well, you know, you guys aren't spirit-filled. You're too conservative. You're too old-fashioned. You're missing the spirit. This is some of the messages that we hear from people today claiming these kind of prophetic uh, privileges. You know, they're into gimmicks. They're into, like, you know, church growth stuff. They're into, like, just, just get the people in. Let's try to reach them. Let's water everything down. And the gospel is lost because, you know, this is the new of God. This is what the Spirit is doing. And they're forgetting that Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Nothing else saves. It's a message. It's not a gimmick. I can't, I can't put up signs and I can't do nothing to get people saved. I have to preach. And I have to faithfully preach. Week in and week out no matter how much people hate me my own family can hate me my friends can hate me the church can hate me but I have to preach faithfully because nothing else will save that's it do you want your salvation to rest on the wisdom of man Paul says in 1 Corinthians or on the wisdom of God or the power of God it's only Christ that saves and Christ that changes the heart that is it verse 3 brings us into a very interesting concept. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced. The Greek word means to be forced or compelled or caused to walk a different way. To be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And we have here something that we have to be careful of at all times. People of influence, or people who think they're influential, is what Paul is saying here, because people think highly of themselves, like to force other people to 
do things. It's called emotional manipulation. How careful we have to be. Words like, God spoke to me a new direction of the church. Or, the Spirit says. Or, this is what the Spirit's doing in these days. That means everything else he's ever done is outdated. Since when is the triune God outdated? Since when is the gospel outdated? Since when is teaching and preaching that Paul did and everybody else in the New Testament, the Old Testament did, when is that outdated? When does gimmicks come in? When does a new methodology just to get the people in to get saved come in? You take sin out of the equation. You take repentance out of the equation. You take holiness out of the equation. You take the reality of hell out of the equation. Since when does that save anybody? You're left with a straw man. That's it. It's a straw gospel. It saves nothing, it changes nothing. As Paul says somewhere else, it's itching ears that have a form of religion, but deny its power. It does nothing. At all. If the message doesn't challenge, it doesn't change, it doesn't save. But we got to be sure that even well intended ministers can get overzealous in their spiritual authority and misuse. Unwittingly, we can manipulate. All people in authority have to be careful of wrong motives. There is a high call to influence others for God and it comes with a high responsibility spiritual manipulation is rampant ministers want their own way how do we stop that? what stops me? from getting a brain idea because I drink three Starbucks and I think I'm hearing from God <laughs> and all of a sudden I got a new plan for the church well, I have good gospel men around me that when they hear me going off, they hold me accountable to what I say. Amen. That we don't surround ourselves with rubber stamp men that say, well, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't say anything. The pastor might get mad. <laughs> if a pastor can't take getting mad, if a pastor can't take getting insulted, if a pastor can't take being asked and questioned about his doctrine, his theology, and his philosophy of ministry, he's no pastor. Amen. He's no pastor. A pastor has to be a man that knows that everything he says and does is transparent before everybody. This is God's kingdom and you are his precious people. How dare any man preach his own motives, his own agendas and his own ideas. And at the expense of someone saying, you know, pastor, this could be wrong. I don't want to hear that. Dare not. But this is what goes on today. Oh, God. I'll skip a couple of these things and close up. Verse 5. Paul says this. He says it to all of us. To them, we did not yield in submission for one moment. Do you have that kind of backbone? Is that the kind of sword of faith that Christ gave to you when you were born again? You will lose friends for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will lose family members. You will lose church families. Churches will split 
because of stuff like this. And rightfully so. Because when you attack the truth, you are attacking the very nature of God. And just as bad as attacking the very nature of God, listen to what Paul says in verse 5. That the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, Galatians. I did this all for you. I laid down my life. I went into the lion's den. I went face to face with these Judaizers, these influential men who thought so highly of themselves. I went toe to toe with them just so that you could be preserved. So that you could have the truth. And that tomorrow you could still sing the praises of Jesus because the law of Moses is not put on you. I'll jump in the way. You can kill me, but whatever you do, you don't touch God's sheep. That is a past. That is how we respond. Are you willing to fight for the truth? Are you willing to tell somebody, you know, I love you, but I, I think you're wrong on this. I've got to be honest with you. Because Paul's not saying, he says here later on, I'll talk about it next week, but he says, I'm fighting for the gospel. He's not fighting to be right. Paul's not being like, well, you know, I'm Paul and you're not. He's fighting for the truth that saves people, that takes them out of hell and brings them to heaven, that changes them from being sinners into being good people. That's worth fighting for. But I've got to be honest with you. That is something you don't see much anymore. Fight. Fight for Christ. Fight for the truth. Preserve the truth for another generation. Get in the fight. Luther said it great once. You can find a soldier of Christ when you see him fighting where the fight is fiercest. And he goes on to say, and that is where the truth is attacked. And I'll close with verse 6. And from those who seem influent, influ, uh-huh, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were, I love this, makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I seem to be influential added nothing to me. Understand something what these Judaizers were doing. They were coming to Paul's churches and they were name dropping. Peter. James said this. So-and-so said this. Cleophius said that. I'm here on behalf of the church of Jerusalem. They would name drop him. And Paul says, I don't care what they think of themselves. God shows no partiality. He doesn't care about your credentials, whether they're real or perceived. It makes no difference. God's not at the name dropping. There's only one name God's concerned about. It's Christ alone. That's it. That's all he cares about. But isn't it true today that people love to talk and exalt man? That people love they love to listen. We got to be careful not to exalt, as Paul says. It's not about Paul. It's not about Cephas. It's not about Apollos. It's about Christ and Christ alone. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Him. It's not about Luther. It's not about Calvin. It's not about this one. It's not about that one. We learn from all the greats. We appreciate everything. We admire their doctrine. We understand them. But we preach Christ and Christ alone. We're not, we don't hang out a shingle, this is who we are. There's one shingle. Oh, that church? Oh yeah, I know them. It's faith expressing itself through love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you like always for challenging us, your children, that you chose to love before the foundations of the world, to conform us into the image of Christ. 
And yet you're working all things together for good for those who love you or called according to your purposes, Father God. Even though we can't see it all the times and many times in our life it's awkward and it's uncomfortable, God. And we don't like confrontation, Father God. And we just want to let the status quo go. We don't want to disturb anything. Oh, it's all good. No, Father God, it is the truth. And when we fight for the truth, we fight for Christ himself who alone is the truth, the life and the way. God, encourage us and strengthen us today with the message and our worship and our fellowship and our prayers, our exhortations, Father God, our repentance and our confession. We love you in Christ's precious name. Amen.